Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The Tonys are coming up this weekend, and we've got a special edition of the podcast because uh, we sat down with Josh Groban, who is the uh, who's nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Musical. He's been starring in, in a play called Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet. Actually, it's got a longer title that he'll deliver to you in the course of this interview. Anyway, we did this interview back in January uh, as part of the uh, 10% Happier Cross-Country uh, Tour. I was trying to come up with a more colorful way to describe it because it was quite colorful. Anyway, we interviewed Josh on day one of the tour, and I actually had never met him before. We had tweeted back and forth. It turns out he's a delightful human being, and this was way before he got nominated for the Tony, and you'll hear him talk with some bracing candor about the fact that he um, he really has a lot of anxiety about the course of his career. So so just bear in mind the happy ending uh, when you listen to him talk about all of that. We also teach him how to meditate live. So this is a really uh, this is a great addition of the podcast. And when I say we, I should say that alongside me helping conduct the interview and then uh, honchoing the teaching of the meditation is Jeff Warren. Uh, who is the co-author of this book that I'm working on based on the cross-country meditation tour. Uh, The book's called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. It'll be out at New Year's. Anyway, enough talking from me. Here's Josh Groban. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. We haven't met formally, but I don't know. You probably don't remember this, but we actually were next to each other at the urinals backstage at Good Morning America one How day. How could I forget? I didn't peek, <laughs> just so you know. Um, uh, so I've I've been in your proximity. We actually we have a few mutual friends who we haven't yeah. discussed. One of them actually produced um, a movie you were in called Coffee Town. Oh, my goodness. Um, so you are just in for, for the uh, people who've been living under a rock for the last uh, 10 years. Josh uh, is a multi-platinum recording artist. He's also um, a great actor, and he was really funny in the movie Coffee Town, yeah. which you should go see. Um, and uh, he's now on Broadway. Uh, in The Great Comet. The Great um, Comet of it. And Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812. And I'm so thrilled you brought up Coffee Town because that, like, I thought, like, three people saw that movie. I saw it. And every now and then, someone will say, like, oh, I saw you in Coffee Town. I play a real jerk uh, bar- barista in that movie and had a really good time. Yeah, you were great in it. You were <laughs> really funny. Thanks. Uh, so you, I saw on Twitter that you said something about uh, meditation and me or something like, I can't remember I what it was. I had listened to a SoundCloud clip of this very podcast. And you were talking about... Um, something really important about gratitude. And you were mentioning, um, you know, as as kind of cliche as it sounds, to just talk about the things like verbalize, the things that you're grateful for each night because, you know, we how quickly we forget and we go about, about our day and we see things very myopically sometimes. And it was just a snippet of something that I just, I really needed to hear that snippet <laughs> when I heard it. And so um, Twitter can be uh, an absolutely evil force uh, that we should be off uh, a lot of the time. And then every so often, there are th- ways to use Twitter that I feel are really effective. And so I thought, you know what? Hot damn. This is a great clip. I needed to hear this. Maybe my listeners would like to my, – my listeners, my followers uh, would like to um, – would like those two. So I tweeted it and complimented you at the same time, and, and uh, you tweeted me back, and I was thrilled. So I said something like, hey uh, – first of all, I was really psyched when I saw this. I was like, this is not every day that Josh Groban tweets at me. So <laughs> I uh, – it's, it's been a, it's been every day, but I'm glad you finally. I'm glad <laughs> right, you I finally noticed it. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then I tweeted back at you. I said, "Do you meditate?" And you said something to the effect of, <laughs> "I've tried it, but it makes me want to throw a lamp across <laughs> yeah. the room." 
So then we started talking offline, and I was like, come on my podcast, yeah. and I'll bring in my yep. favorite meditation teacher. Um, and sorry, I got to say one of, even though you are really my favorite, but um, <laughs> I, I don't want everybody else to get mad at me. You're um, on the, you are on the special edition. Yes, I'm happy to be the in the show. top 20. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, and and uh, we'll see if we can get you to meditate without throwing a lamp across yeah, the room. Yeah, I've noticed that this room is lamp free. So yeah. thanks for prepping for me. We cleared them all out. Uh, yeah, you've got a, you've got a fire extinguisher in here, so you must yeah. know uh, when I go Hulk <laughs> mode, you must understand that uh, no, <laughs> the red hot head turbine. <laughs> yeah. So let me give you a little back, background sure. on what we're doing. Yes. So I, uh, as you know, I wrote this book a couple years ago love, called Ten Percent Happier. My book. whole goal was to try to get meditation to seem less kooky, weird, and culty. Yep. And in the years since the book came out, I've been pleased to see that, and it's not by no means is it because of my book, but I think it's largely because of the science, mm. that people are, meditation is less embarrassing. Uh, you people, it's socially acceptable to say you meditate. In fact, there is a meditation room in ABC News now that I had nothing to do with setting up. So it's Amazing. like kind of catching on. But I've also noticed that most, many people don't do it. Uh, even though they kind of they kind of want to do it, mm-hmm. so yeah. I started a company. I'm now like a businessman. I started a company, a, an app that teaches people how to meditate. But still, in the in the process of researching, you know, doing corporate research for the company, we found that there are a lot of reasons why people don't do it. We call them like secret fears that stop people from yep. meditating. So then I enlisted Jeff, and we're going to go on a 12 day cross country tour. This is the first day of the tour, and this you are the second stop of the tour. <laughs> the first stop was with my wife, so uh, who also doesn't meditate. Uh, oh, no kidding. No, 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 no. Interesting. And the thing I've learned is um, if you want to get uh, a lamp thrown at you, yeah. uh, lecture your wife about meditating. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Amazing. do it. Well, that's so interesting. Well, do you? I mean, do you though? But you believe that there are a couple different types of people. I mean, you a question for you too. When it comes to meditation, is it for everyone, or are there two types where it just doesn't do the same thing for certain people? Uh, great question. I, yeah, it's a great question. I think practice is for everyone, meaning some way, some commitment uh, in your life around coming more fully into your experience, being closer to the people around you. Some something you're deliberately doing that will make those things happen. Mm-hmm. Meditation is one way to kind of work on those things. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I, I think the question is what, how do you, how are you living? Where are there stresses that you would, that could be useful to mediate a little bit and where would you prefer to have be more effective or where d- could there be more fulfillments? You kind of have, you begin to have that topography view of your life. And mm-hmm. then you look at what practices might be able to uh, address that. And mm. so meditation is definitely one of those. And I think of mindfulness meditation in particular as being a kind of basic core skill that's u- pretty interchangeable mm-hmm. from between lots of different practices because it has to do with just sort of really noticing what's happening in your experience. Yeah. So um, now, that, so once you then introduce the practice, though, there's definitely different kinds of nervous systems. So there's different ways in which you would emphasize the practice different. And even within that, you know, there'd be, you can think of it as like different subgroups of practices within that that are going to work for different people in Mm -hmm. different ways. So interesting. Yeah. What is it, what is it about meditation that's interesting or attractive to you? Why do you think it would be useful? Well, uh, not that you have a stress-free life. For a couple of the reasons that I really connected with your book as well is that, um, you know, anxiety and, um, and expectation have uh, played a huge part in my um, you know, existence. I was I was signed at, at 16, 17 years old. I never got to go to uh, a college experience where you could fail and pick yourself back up and then go party. And, you know, like I, I had a huge amount of pressure on me very, very early on. And I had a lot of people around me very early on that made it very clear to me how life or death, death each little thing was uh, as far as the trajectory of my career. So 
you know, beyond that, I battled anxiety in school and and things like that. So, you know, there are certain things now that I'm a 35 year old that I've taken with me from some of that angsty, you know, uh, beginning that um, that causes a great deal of stress and sometimes um, puts uh, a little bit of blinders on about certain things in my life and in my career that I wish I could see the bigger picture about. And sometimes it takes me a while to see that. And uh, and so I think fi- finding anything and, and meditation being one of them, there are ways, obviously, when when you, you grow up and you, you have a certain track record of, of things that you've accomplished and you have hobbies and things like that, you find things that help you open your mind more. I like to go play tennis, you know. To a certain degree, performing is very meditative for me. Um, leaving the street and walking in the stage door every night and putting on makeup and going out on stage and being a character and telling a story um, centers my mind. I started taking flying lessons. That was very meditative for me. That was something that locked my, I'm a very left brain person, and that really got me over to a place where there was no room for interpretation. I had nothing to do but focus on mm-hmm. this very, very um, specific skill set. Um, but beyond, you know, activities and things that are maybe distractions or, or focusers, um, the idea of meditation for me was, um, was really about, um, was really about centering and really about, um, seeing my life and seeing the world, I think in a, in a wider, uh, capacity because I get, I get very narrow focused on things when anxiety kicks in and it's very hard for me to see beyond those things in the moment that it's happening. And so I, I look at it as a tool. I potentially, think, I think what you just said is actually um, incredibly cool, really um, brave to say, and also really useful. Because for people out there who uh, to hear somebody of your stature say, "Yeah, you too get anxious," sure, that that just gives everybody license to feel not to not feel so badly about the fact that the rest of us get anxious <laughs> too. And you know, uh, I, so anyway, I thank you for saying. I it. think I think it's a common thread with with many successful people. I think uh, there is um, there is that. I, look, I wish I were the type of successful person that just viewed, you know, anxiety as or didn't have anxiety or viewed, you know, took criticism and turned it into a positive or what I but I'm I'm always the harshest person on myself first. Um but uh then then there are those that, that, you know, many of them are CEOs that somehow just bypass that that gene, you know. Yeah, well I mean I, I've used anxiety to fuel uh much of my career too. So it can fuel. It can yes, be good if absolutely. you can channel it yes. in good ways. If, if it lights a fire under you. Yes. Because I can also be very lazy. So <laughs> if the anxiety lights a fire under you to actually get to work and go finish that song or go, you know, think about that next step, um then it can be very good. But it's it's about balance and everything in, in moderation. And um and so yeah. I, t- I talk about this a lot. I think that, you know, I was raised by a Jewish dad who said that the price of security is insecurity. So, like, a great thing to tell a kid. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I, uh, I very much used anxiety, you know, to, to come up in the TV news business, which is super competitive. Right. And I, it, it, it was useful until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I started doing incredibly stupid things, like right. drugs right. or just whatever. And so I, I actually think, um, I still think that some anxiety is useful, but what, where meditation is incredibly helpful is that it help you draw the line between mm-hmm. um, useless rumination and right. what I call constructive anguish. Exactly, and that is that's where I think maybe we can give you a hookup. Yeah, and, and and I was a skeptic about it honestly until I read your book because I was 
I was uh, of the mindset that because, you know, I'd worked with, you know, producers like Rick Rubin and people like that who have meditated their entire lives yeah. since they were children. Yeah. And if they don't do it, they feel something's missing in their yeah. day. But at the same time, he's a very laid back man, yes, you know, and is. there are people that I know that do it daily and they are so Zen about the world and so laid back about their surroundings. And I feel like that would be that's not really who I am. I've always been one of those people where the spin has always been my edge has always mm-hmm. I've always for whatever reason, right or wrongly, uh, rightly or wrongly, I've felt like that the anxiety has been an edge for me that has allowed me to you know chess game my life a little better you know and so the idea of laying back at all is actually it's 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 a it's a fear of mine that if i if i sit back too far i'll miss out uh, or, you're, you're you know. a brother from another mother and this is this is exactly <laughs> yeah. my psychology for sure yeah. for sure yeah. can i just just get all jewish grandmother Please. on you for a second because Please. because as anxious as you may feel, like I was just reading the New York Times reviews of your um, of your um, performance uh, in the Great Comet, yeah. rapturous. Very, they go on and on good. about your uh, what a golden tenor and and like what <laughs> absolutely wonderful I believe was the term. So I mean, you're doing something right, right? Uh, yes, uh, I well, yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I think that sometimes the um, the overthinking, if controlled can give you a step ahead. It, it can prepare you more. Um, I was anxious about taking on a Broadway role. It was a dream of mine since I was a kid. Um, I was. I knew there'd be a little bit of skepticism. I was coming from the music world. I didn't want this to be thought of as stunt casting or a gimmick. And, and I was insecure about going into it because I, I hadn't acted in a, in a theatrical production since, uh, you know, 12th grade Fiddler on the Roof. So I... I think that going in and playing a character that I knew was going to be very, very different from the kind of person I am in some ways and very similar in some ways, um, I prepped, you know, I worried and that worry made me do extra curricular. Um, so, you know, there, therein lies the balance of, you know, when is it too much? You know, I pulled my hair out a few times too. So, mm-hmm. um, I wish I could bypass the, um, the self-flogging anxiety and go go only into the anxiety that just makes you want to do the best that you possibly can. Well, let's see if we can uh, we can uh, add some value here. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Your um, original description of uh, why you're interested in practice and your experience also on the stage was so perceptive. You basically described I don't know if you realize it two very different styles of meditation. Mm. Uh, there's one style of meditation that's really about concentrating committing to a performance, to a, a, a direction of attention in, in a practice. And it's about creating very absorbed flow states. So getting in that flow and it's really rewarding and you come out, you feel really good when you come out of it. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, a kind of meditation that a lot of people can relate to because you can do it when you're absorbed in an art practice or a, you're in a conversation, you're making love, whatever it is. But then there's a kind of practice that's about literally panning back the camera of your experience mm-hmm. and getting uh, more perspective around how you get caught in certain ruminative patterns. Mm. And that's more the mindfulness piece. Right. And it is exactly what, you know, it's not, I think that a lot of the misconceptions is if you're only doing, say, practices that are about tranquility or concentration, right. there can be a, you do get easygoing in, in all these practices, but there can be a sense in which you're kind of always down-regulating, you know. Mm. But to, to, to do a practice that's more about just uh, panning back the camera and seeing what's happening in your experience is actually to uh, get a cleaner signal around your personality, is to develop the flexibility to whether you want to be in that more forward-driving, edgy mode or you want to switch out into a more open, 
uh, you know, perspective mode. Yeah. You can kind of, you start to learn which to move between these different settings. Mm -hmm. You can think of it that way. Yeah. So it's just interesting like that. It's, it, you, you know, you're a really uh, good candidate for, for what you call a, t a typical mindfulness practice to, because it helps get, give you traction and space around some of that stuff. Yeah. Should we actually do, or how do you want to do this? What would be most helpful for you? Because I can, <laughs> I can talk you, I could actually work, walk, we could go through an actual meditation that kind of unpacks the dynamics. We could do. We could. I mean, I, 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 mean, I guess my, um, my question about doing that and, uh, on, on mic and camera is, is that, does that become a ver an actual meditation or is it, is it a, more of a controlled setting that, or can it be done in a setting like this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, the thing about meditation is, you can do it anywhere. It's basically paying attention to whatever's happening right now. Right. So it's a funny thing because one of the things we deal with is that people come to us and say, well, I don't need to meditate because running is my meditation. Right. Or washing the dishes or flying a plane. Right. But uh, sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not. Like uh, if you're running and practicing all of the uh, curse words you're going to hurl at your boss <laughs> – that's not meditation. <laughs> but if you're running and really just paying attention to the experience of your feet falling on the on the road, the wind coming in your face, right. that is meditation. So anyway, it's a long way of saying we could if we did it right here, it would be med it would be meditation. Right. I've, yeah. heard, I've heard though uh, that curse words to the boss are also a good meditation. Well, certainly yes. a good stress <laughs> yeah. relief. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's what they call curses. a mantra, right? It's the curse words <laughs> to the boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I I'm game for anything you guys want to try, truly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think uh People hear about, say, mindfulness, and it seems very uh, – it's like, well, it seems so common sense. Just pay attention to what's happened to your experience in a non-judgmental way that they can't find – it's almost too subtle. So the way I like to present it is through a particular teacher of mine, a guy named Shinzen Young, who really emphasizes the actual skills that are getting built. So we could do a little mini meditation where I'll get you to close your eyes and it will be directing your attention into your body, into your breath. But what I'll do or whatever body sensation you, you want – but as we're doing it, I'll kind of just point out what quality is being trained there. Mm -hmm. Because when you can start to recognize when you're being concentrated, when you're being clear, when you have a kind of friendly relationship to your experience, when you're being open and equanimous, then you can start to use that as feedback in your life. So you start to bring the meditation into your life, into your theater, into your singing, into your performance, into your relationships. So it's very helpful to get a kind of taste of what these things are that we're doing and to make it to kind of ground it in a more a concrete way mm -hmm. in our experience. So mm -hmm. does that sound like it makes sense? It makes sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So Great. if you're in a position wherever you are externally out there in the world where you can follow along and you want to close your eyes, you can do that too. So you'll be meditating with us. If you are operating heavy machinery, if you're driving a car, <laughs> flying a plane, flying a plane, probably don't want to do that. You can think of this. Uh, it'll be a little bit more of a discursive med meditation than I t than I would normally lead in the sense that you're I'll be kind talk of talk more. Uh, yeah, I'll talk more and I'll explain more what it is. And that way, for the people who are listening, you can just think of it as sort of uh, <laughs> educational or something. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans.
The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. Okay, so so let's start by closing our eyes. And you can start by uh, you know taking a few deep breaths. As you inhale, you're kind of stretching up the spine. You want to be in a place where you're kind of alert, so it's good to have a stretched up spine and be sitting with the back straight. And then on the exhale is when you're, it's the it's sort of the settling motion. So there's a kind of the diaphragm releases on the exhale, and you can kind of ride that down a little bit, letting your body settle in the chair or wherever you're sitting. And this is the softening motion. So on the exhale, softening the eyes and the the jaw and the cheek. And I sometimes think of it as, you know, you come into a meditation, you might have a lot of anxiousness or energy in the body. As you exhale, it's almost like you're breathing out uh, the tension a little bit, softening on every exhale. So the first thing we do is we choose something to concentrate on. So in this case, we'll work with the body. Uh, the breath is the classic, uh, quote, object, end quote. That's the, the thing you pay attention to. So it means the feeling of breathing at the belly, say, or the feeling of breathing at the nostrils or in the throat. I'm meditating along here at home with Josh Groban and Dan Harris. So we're all collectively, the many thousands of us, noticing the feeling of our breath kind of coming through the nose and into the belly. And if for whatever reason the breath isn't like your go-to, some people might have asthma and they don't like paying attention to it, you can choose another body sensation. So you could choose, say, the feeling of the warmth in the hands or a point in the belly or your feet on the ground, uh, the seat on the chair, anything. But the idea is just to choose a sensation and now decide you're going to commit to it. So this is skill number one. It's concentration. It's holding the direction. So, yep, if you decide on the breath, I'm going to actually try to bring, pay attention to the breath now for the next, you know, five or ten minutes. Inevitably, your mind will wander. You gently bring it back in a kind of friendly way. And again, feeling the sensation of the breath. So when we say using, paying attention to the breath, it means feeling. We know here by feeling. 
What does it feel like as the breath tickles your your nostrils? What does it feel like as the air enters into the lungs or there's a slight rise in the in the in the belly? Getting really curious about the sensation. You're kind of there's a hedonic quality here of this like an intuit quality. Oh yeah, I'm feeling my breath or the hands or whatever the sensation is. So this is concentration and it it takes concentration but it builds it. The more we drift and we come back and we feel. So this is sort of the the groundwork, the baseline skill of just trying to hold that attentional line on the breath or the sensation. But the next skill, you could call it clarity. As we first start feeling our breath, it's like, oh, it's sort of subtle or you can feel that it's there, but it's not very rich yet. But the longer we meditate, the more a particular sensation will open itself to us if we're paying attention. So how fully can you feel the breath? How clean a signal of the sensation can you get? And if you're really still, there's a cleaner signal-to-noise ratio. Feeling the, the center of where the breath maybe touches your belly or the nostril where the edges are. Is it a soft feeling? Is it, is it rougher? Is it smooth and continuous or are there little breaks? As we commit to our direction, our, our direction begins to very slowly open, like the resolution increases. That's the second skill is this clarity skill, making discernments. But there's a third skill, which is a kind of pervasive easygoingness. Think of it as a lack of uptightness because your mind is definitely going to wander and you're going to want to beat yourself up about it. And it's kind of going, oh, you know what? That's okay. It's normal for the mind to come in. I just notice that. I come back. I have a, I, I let myself be okay with the fact that there's going to be thoughts in the background and distractions and sounds and things won't necessarily go how I want them to. But I have this mature stance, this poise in the way I sit. And that's equanimity. And it's a very important quality, opening to the experience, not fighting with it, having a mature, accepting quality. So remembering this as we focus on the breath or the sensation, smoothing out the face, noticing for rigid or or, or, or kind of like holding tension anywhere? Can you sort of soften, ease off? Committing to this breath, this interesting sensation. Following it in and out. Finding something rich in the experience, enjoyable. It's just so nice to 
only need to do one thing here. You don't need to have your mind on all these tracks. It only has to do one thing, which is to feel, to feel the breath or the body. It's a nice break of appreciating that. Appreciation is important. It's the last quality, the friendliness. Experiencing the breath as this, you know, in this friendly way, something that you enjoy, something you like. There's an important principle here. It's if your mind does wander and you notice it's wandered, instead of getting mad at yourself for having it wandering, you instead go, oh, yeah, cool, I, I noticed that. You, you, you feel good about noticing, and that trains the subconscious to come back more quickly. So this pervasive attitude of friendliness and easygoingness makes the meditation so much more effective and pleasurable itself. Still with the breath and with the sensation. Breathing in. And what's interesting is even something like the breath, which at first glance might seem really boring, we realize that idea that it's boring, those are just judgments that are happening over top. But the sensation of breathing itself is is complete. It's inherently fulfilling in its own full way, trying to connect to that. And how nice to sit here and just breathe into our warm animal bodies. How magical, just thinking of all the people out there breathing with us. Everyone settling, committed to the same direction in their experience, this experience of breathing. every exhale, the settlement, the sediment settles and and if there's discomforts and intrusions and distractions and thoughts, just having that easygoingness of letting them be in the background. In this way we, we make our commitments. Just clear again, what part of the breath are you feeling? Can you approach the breath as this this thing you care about, this part of you, the sensations are 
pleasurable. There's an enjoyment quality we bring to the experience. We don't wait for it to present enjoyment. We decide to find it enjoyable up front. Breathing in and breathing out. No more complicated than that. Just paying attention to this part of our experience with quality of openness and friendliness. Being curious about the little pixelated details of the sensations. And overall, through all this, our commitment to holding this direction. And the more we do this over time, the more our natural capacity to be concentrated builds, to commit to our attention in the direction in our life that we want it to. Our discernment around the elements of our experience get clearer. We start to notice more our body sensations, our feelings, kinds of patterns we get in and our equanimity increases our our general mature acceptance of our experience in the moment and then the friendliness the affable good nature quality also a training these four muscle groups with every sit increasing in small amounts, eventually spilling out into our lives. Just a few minutes every day to recheck into these qualities. It just seems like such a small thing to do with such large possible consequences. like adult school breathing and when you feel ready both you guys in the studio and the whoever's listening out there in the ether you can open your eyes and bring your attention back into into the room Nice job, buddy. That's great. Yeah. That's you, wonderful. You're an official meditator, Josh Groban. Uh, that, that, that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting as you're saying the things. <clears throat> you're saying them as I'm – you said them right when I needed to hear them when I was thinking of them. So I think the thing that, that would make me frustrated in the past doing it is that the control freak in me would kick in 
I would notice myself wandering or, quote, unquote, not doing it right, and then I'd get frustrated. Then the frustration would be, you know, a little mental planted seed, and I would just, at that point, I would be thinking to myself, okay, I just got to stop now because I'm just getting frustrated with myself. But I think the friendliness aspect of it, the understanding that you're thinking those things and that's okay, and finding ways to bring it back slowly or quickly um, are good. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting that um, that – frustrate when you get frustrated like that which is a, a normal response what you're basically training your subconscious is that it's uh oh wow this guy's frustrated now best not to even notice at all when we when your mind right. is wandered so it actually makes you wander more often as opposed to doing the opposite which is just to go <clears throat> exactly, oh yeah. yeah exactly that really has a strong effect and uh yeah. and i imagine that's probably not uncommon for a newbie to this because oh, totally. if you think about all of us that are interested in meditation or doing it, trying it out for the first time or buying an app and doing it by themselves in their mm-hmm. bedroom or living room or whatever. I mean, we're coming from a, we have a, we have a, such a distracted, yeah. constant world that we live in now. I mean, yeah. um, you know, when you think about the devices that are constantly bleeping at us and tempting us with yeah. more clicks of information and the things that we get stressed, we get stressed now, I think, at a much more rapid pace mm-hmm, than, definitely. than my parents did, my grandparents did. So the idea of just taking a few minutes just to do this to my generation, I think, is it seems like an eternity mm, sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, because we have so many things around us at all times that are a leash to us, you know. So true. So, so um, so when you do try and settle and do it, it it's practice. I, I would imagine this takes practice, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's okay that it takes practice. It's that's that yeah. is the practice. There's no such thing <laughs> as like a natural talent. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> well, there may it. be, but like. There may be natural talents, but um, I don't know many of them. And if somebody tells you they're really good at meditation, you should be suspicious. Because the whole game is getting lost and starting again. That is meditation. It's not like you're trying to get to some special state. And this is what screws people up. They think, because the traditional art around meditation shows people floating off into the cosmos and all this stuff, people think, oh, I can't meditate because I'm not in a a thought-free bliss field. Right. But if if that is the case for you, as I like to say, you are either enlightened or you have died. And actually, the whole act of meditation is this mental bicep curl over and over of trying to focus on your breath, get lost, start again, get lost, mm-hmm. start again, get lost. Want to throw a lamp, mm-hmm. notice desire to throw a lamp, yeah. don't get carried away by it, yeah. go back to the breath. Right. And why is that useful? Because in the rest of your life, when yeah. you're beset by a desire to scream at somebody or freak out about something, mm-hmm. you can notice, oh, I'm starting to freak out, or I'm about to scream, or I'm about to say the thing that's going to, as I like to say, ruin the next 48 hours of my marriage mm-hmm. or whatever, but you don't have to take the bait and act on it. It's flexing that's, the muscle of noticing. Ac- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's like life is going to hit you with greater and greater and greater intensities. Sure. You know, and, and like I don't know anybody, even the most hardcore meditators who aren't at some point overwhelmed by some intense thing in the, fi- in the figure of their life. But the more time you put an investment in the ground of your life, mm-hmm. the capacity to notice in the first place, it's, it, it begins to be the place that you live in. Mm-hmm. It's like you live there instead of completely identify with what's happening. Like you're just like a squirrel on a nut in this inside piece, like <laughs> going around and around and around and around. <laughs> but at some point it's like, Phoom. yeah. And what happens to the squirrel? The squirrel's just like, eh. Nuts. <laughs> nuts. I don't need this nut. <laughs> Hashtag <Yeah>. nuts. <laughs> so what do you think, I mean, just final, in the final minutes here, yeah. like, what do you, uh, I'm just curious because um, I'm just as a evangelist for meditation yeah. now, what do you think, just having had a little taste of it, mm-hmm. for you, what would it take for you to, to, 
to make this an, enough of a habit that you were getting out of it what you would want to get out of it? Well, I, I think that, well, for me, to, to get started with it, I mean, it, it definitely helps to have a guide when you're starting, yeah. doesn't it? I yeah. mean, I, I've, I've, tried, I've tried doing it by myself, and that's when I've gotten frustrated, mm-hmm. is, is not understanding what it is that I'm, you know, supposed to be thinking or not thinking or, or what have you. So um, I think, I think like, like you mentioned, to be able to have uh, a tool that allows me to be more in tune when I'm not meditating throughout the day mm-hmm. towards what it is I'm feeling – if I get stressed about something, you know, like I said, flexing that muscle of bringing yourself back, I think is something that is deceptively difficult in today's times. I think that we we let ourselves get, and I certainly do, I'm very easily distracted. Um, we let ourselves get, get thrown into a million places, and then those places have a huge amount of power over how we... Uh, how we make decisions over the course of our day and how we feel, you know, joy and happiness and gratitude and all those things throughout our day. Um, to have this as a way to center myself and to flex that muscle, I think would be very, very good, not only for the days that I'm not, you know, not working, but but for the ones where I am as well. Is there um, a particular, is like, when you think about meditation, is there a particular direction that interests you in terms of something to meditate on, a certain quality you want to build more of? So definitely I hear that centering. If we were to make a customized meditation, a Josh Groban meditation for you, like <laughs> that's his way of saying I'm going to make you a customized. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you want, what would you want to pay attention to, and what 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 what's what is a natural thing that you're really interested in trying to build up? Um, a couple of things. Well, I guess part of my answer is is a question. In in which case, I, I would like to ask. What what does it mean sometimes to to creative people to to writers to songwriters to people who uh, does meditation ever is it ever used as a tool for people who use their minds to conjure things from thin air and are also distracted all the time as well? <laughs> <laughs> You're asking on behalf of a friend. That says, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Asking for a friend, as they say. On <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell this friend. I mean, are you kidding me? Because I was going to say one of the things I would I would use it for is to put myself in a headspace before sitting yeah. at the piano perhaps, right. and, and writing. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, the reports across the board with practitioners that when you can get still, there's more place for creativity to emerge. Yeah. Creativity doesn't just emerge from the associative connections in the noise. It actually emerges from the quiet. Like any right. great writer will tell you, yeah. any great you know musician, that like there's entire books written about this exact experience. Yeah. You know the, the the thoughts without a thinker, right? The things that emerge fully formed, right? But they only will emerge if you give yourself space for that to happen. Yeah. If you're just crowding your head with the violence of your own anxious neurotic preoccupations, yep. How are you ever going to mine a deeply fertile experience? It's right. Like, it's just you're blocking it. It's so yeah. interesting the similarities between something that I had never done before and something that I've done a lot of in in, in the songwriting. And so when I talk to young writers and I, and I Sometimes we'll put them through a, a course where they have to collaborate when they've never collaborated together and they start, you know, they start self-editing and getting frustrated. And my comment to them is just just sit in the quiet, play the melody that you have and then be quiet. And what is it that find that space? It's in the silence. It's in the place where you're not trying to micromanage your own creativity that things start You're to teaching happen. them to meditate. That's that's the lightning in the bottle. That's Brother, the, you totally said That's it. the intangible thing yes. that every writer yeah. qu- has a quest for. Yeah. Is that moment where, honestly, some of the times you feel like you've written the best thing, you say, well, I didn't write it. I was quiet, and it came, you know? 
and uh, and so that's a that's a huge that's a huge thing that that so much of that is is based on the same mentality. Mm-hmm. So what if we did a practice called sit in the quiet? That was actually deliberately meant to be used before you sit down to compose or before you and for anybody who wants to before they do something creative. Yeah, as a place to kind of get yourself centered. It would still have the value of resetting in that deeper way. I yeah. mean, the thing with these, when you understand meditation, what it's doing, that it's building up these attentional qualities. Yeah. You know, the more you do it, the more reps you do, the more it spills out in your life. It's mm-hmm. just a, it's a, it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time and nature doing that process. So you'd still be getting all the benefits of, of practice, but it'd also be preparing the ground for, for the particular creative work that you're doing. Yeah, I so, think that'd be hugely helpful. Yeah, so we'll we'll make something for you and send it to you. Sweet. You guys are the best. You guys You're are the, the best. best. You're awesome. Seriously, it's so cool to meet you. And you too. <laughs> very generous of you to give us your time. We really no, appreciate it. No, thank you. No, it's yeah. been something that's been on my mind for a long time. And and um, as I said, I, I think you've been a really great advocate for thank you. Um, many of us that um, have gone through some of the same uh, you know stresses about about life and career and and thoughts about meditation and the fact that you went through it and talked about it. Um, has been hugely helpful for a lot of us. So it's great to great to come in here and chat with you. And, and Jeff, great to great to see you too. Thanks it's so my much. Pleasure. You're the best. Okay, there's another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please make sure to uh, subscribe, rate us. And uh, if you want to suggest topics we should cover or guests uh, we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter at Dan B. Harris. I also want to thank heartily the people who produce this podcast and really do pretty much all the work lauren efron josh cohan sarah amos andrew kalb steve jones and the head of abc news digital dan silver Uh, i'll talk to you next wednesday if you like 10 percent happier and i hope you do uh, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts prime members can listen ad free on amazon music Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest. And they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost. But now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.